0: I said, show it up your nose, pal. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was really
1: good. That's, yeah. You like that fake banter? Yeah. <laughs>
0: I actually, I noticed that, like, I feel like if you work with younger kids, you tend to talk like they're stupid or something. And <laughs> yeah. it's not, like, they're not, and you should talk normally so that, because they can get it. They can infer meaning from your sentences. Right. You might have to stop and explain a word or two, but, like... It's just funny to me that it's like sometimes you see, you hear people talking and you're just like, why are you dumbing it down so drastically? Well, I
1: think that's kind of like people who like don't know how to talk to kids, of which I am one. Children terrify me. I have no idea how to communicate with them.
0: Through sheer Um, physical force. Yeah, yeah, or just like,
1: cool backpack. Like, oh, like.
0: (laughs) I mean, you did some teaching abroad, though. You worked in Spain and taught English.
1: Yeah, but also they didn't speak English. So it was like. So they were drawn to
0: you and you're exotic. (laughs) They're like, ooh. So no, excited. so it, like,
1: it didn't even matter what yeah. I said. It was just like, I would just show up and be like, yeah, America. Uh, sharks. <laughs> USA. Yeah. yeah. Sharks? Yeah, because I, I was from California. and Jose sharks, baby. They didn't know, like, the animal. I was oh. trying to, like, scare them but also impress them at the same time where I was like, there are sharks in the waters and everyone's afraid of them and we constantly are being eaten by sharks.
0: Do, do you remember that documentary we watched about sharks? We watched, yeah. like... We watched, like, two docu... It's like, if sharks could sue for slander or libel, (laughs) they should. Like, these two docu... Remember?
1: Yeah, well, it's like, according to the National Geographic, there are two positions on sharks. Either they are dumb trash eating monsters, yeah, or the they're like dummies. Yeah, or they're like diabolical geniuses. They're getting smarter,
0: <laughs> and they're hunting humans.
1: There's no like middle of the road shark documentary. Those like, documentaries
0: were total hit pieces. Yeah, it was like I, I just remember that one. It was like it never outright said it, but it like was implying that sharks were getting smarter. And that they were now hunting closer to the shallows, you know, and it was like it was like, you know that scene in Jaws where all the people are like splashing in the water? It was like they literally just like lifted that and know. reshot it. And like <laughs> And then the other one's like a shark like chewing on a tire and bumping into a boat. And it just like oh, <laughs> yo. It was like,
1: don't even know where I am right now. <laughs> I actually am terrified of sharks.
0: I was until I saw those derpy looking <laughs> Like fat head sharks yeah, that they were like, where
1: like little torpedoes. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, sharks are terrifying. That's I don't I'm not necessarily terrified of sharks. It's more when you're in water where you can't see your feet. Yeah. You know, like that sort of dark water. Oh, just yeah. like, you're like fucking anything could just be like like in a split second Oh, that is terrifying your world could just be like I'm a half man <laughs> and then you know. And then I mean, the other like, sharks would come to like.
1: Right, they would smell the blood in the water.
0: Do you have a favorite shark?
1: Uh, I know you
0: just said you hate them, but no, do you have a? No, hammerhead.
1: Because they were also the best gummies. They
0: just look in so cool too. Shark gummy bags. They look really good. Cool. They were my yeah. favorite too. I had an awesome hammerhead shark toy growing up. It was just like, obviously the hammerhead is the coolest. Oh my shark.
1: god, they're your favorite too. Oh my god. Very funny.
0: <laughs> I was actually getting very sentimental and oh, choked up. Oh no. And... No, it's fine.
1: Justin, we like the same shark. Actually, I like
0: the tiger shark now. (laughs) It's a superior shark.
1: Wow. Really? That's the hill you want to die on?
0: No. I want to die in the water with my beloved tiger shark.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Cat Uh, scratches down my back. (laughs) (laughs) Meow. (laughs) Oh, my God.
0: So this week we were at Bone by Jeff Smith. And you didn't really care for it.
1: Yeah, no. Which is it's a big no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like,
0: I was afraid to tell people that I know that you didn't like it. I like.
1: Well, listen. I know, I know because I so you usually pick the comic books, and this week I was like, I really want to read Bone. Um, I know so many people who recommended it, like, and I was on board. Yeah, yeah. I, and I was like, I I'm really excited to read this. I've never picked it up, and this is a great opportunity to like check it out. Um, I did not love it. It, uh, I, it, it, this feels like an Emperor's New Clothes situation where I'm like, am I missing something? Yes. Like, okay, well, like, like, (laughs) it just, uh, at the end I was more pulled in. I was more on board where I was like, okay, I can see how maybe this is like watching the first two episodes of a series where you're like, oh, I can see where it's headed, but it's not fully fleshed out yet.
0: Yeah, well, Bone is this kind of sprawling fantasy epic with cartoon characters mixed in, and it's kind of like Your it has bones. That thing. It well, they're not literal bones. It's kind are of like, they not? No, you have to kind of think like Stan, Sakai, Usagi Yojimbo. Like they're just anthropomorphic. Which is a
1: problem that I had there as well. No, I know, but, but
0: yeah. these are actually so the bone characters, the three bone cousins are characters that jeff smith has been drawing since he was five years old like they're little cartoon characters he came up with and then by age 10 he was making comics with them
1: but they're not bones
0: they're not literal it's not like oh this is femur bone and this is hip bone and this is
1: well i just got the sense that like they're yeah like they're weird little anthropomorphic bones but, like, they're not no, a specific bone. They're it's just, kinda like... like...
0: It's kind of like Carl Barks' uh, Uncle Scrooge or, Daff, or Donald Duck. You comments.
1: use the same example in the Usagi podcast.
0: Right. It's just... They're just cartoon people, and they happen to be drawn. Well, I mean,
1: incidentally, I'm actually like more on board with anthropomorphic animals than I am with whatever these are, which it's like, they're like, they look like ghosts. They're so cute. No, they're not. They're I so would be, cute. I would be more on board if they were ghosts, actually, because that makes, it's, a, they look like, it's like if you gave Casper feet. But like, Casper
0: does have feet. No, he doesn't. Yes, he, has, he does. He's
1: got like a little tail. Yes, he has like a little wispy tail.
0: No, I feel like if we look up an old comic with Casper, he'll have feet.
1: That would be crazy. No, he's got like... Alright, time out. One sec.
0: He's right. got feet! <laughs> he's got
1: feet! Yeah, fine, you're right. Sometimes they... he has a tail. Sometimes he has a vaporous tail. I'm sorry, right. tail is not the right word. He has like a, a vapor trail. Yes,
0: an ether. <laughs> sure, Yeah. <laughs>
1: hate being wrong i really hate it and it happens so often <laughs> how dare you <laughs> how dare you lie You're wrong about Slander. casper you're wrong about this book i'm not wrong about bone
0: dad gum you
1: i feel like i'm really gonna stick by it. i'm gonna i'm gonna stick by my rating on this so what
0: one. what was your exact rating
1: so originally um i was gonna say like d um <sighs> but i've actually after reading it and like finally finishing it um, I would say that my rating falls more at like a B minus.
0: Thank you for your charity. You're honey. welcome. Yeah. It's really good. It starts like...
1: I, no, I mean, if anything, it's just good. It's not really good. It's just, it's fine.
0: Okay. I'm going to read off a couple of stats. Because if okay. Bone <laughs> were an all-star athlete wow <laughs> like a badminton champion yeah that was a real struggle <laughs> bus moment
1: right there <laughs> i read comic books i know I was, I like... <laughs> I know I was like... the sport ball with the sticks okay mm-hmm.
0: nine volumes of this thing came out you want to guess how many languages it's been translated into
1: i don't care <laughs> 30
0: probably more by now okay. 30 languages yeah 10 eisner awards including best continuing series Best writer artist, best humor publication. It just kids keep reading it. I have it at the library at the school and the kids keep picking it off the shelf and reading it. In black and white. Mm. It's mm. like it's not a bad book. It's you might not like the little bone characters because you're like you're hung up on this like they have to be bones, like no, literal I'm bones not a, for some reason. I don't
1: think that they have to be bones. It's like I just don't like this weird sort of juxtaposition between them and then the humans in this world. It just feels, that's it's like a little too, like, weird for me, I guess. No,
0: it's like the call to adventure. It's like the hero's journey. It's like they get run out of Boneville, which is a world probably similar to our own, where it's like they have television, and they have phones, and they have money, and they have cars, and all this other stuff. Uh, Phony Bone gets run out of there.
1: That's another thing. Those names are so fucking dumb. I disagree. Phone Bone, Phony Bone, Smiley Bone, what the fuck?
0: So... Phone Bone...
1: That is some bullshit.
0: Phone Bone is a sort of reference to a, an artist that he likes who had this, like, he used the name Phone Bone as a last name for his little cartoon characters. And so I think that these are... They're just cool little cartoony. They can... They're really expressive. They, their eyebrows are shooting all over the place. Because they're just little cartoons, they can do so much more than, like...
1: A, I mean, I guess, yeah. Like, I'm not... I'm not upset. Or I'm not even upset. But, like, I don't dislike it because they are bones i dislike it because of the setting that they're in like this world feels like
0: well that's what i was saying before is it, it's the call to adventure They're they they get run out of town and through accident get, and yeah, like a
1: call to adventure but like that doesn't make sense like where it's like, i it, that's not addressing what my problem is with this book, which is like the weird humans plus bones. I,
0: yeah, so it's like they find themselves in this weird fantasy land, trapped in this almost other world, and they kind of have to like, they originally they want to get back home, but they, over the course of the series, they make relationships, they make decisions, they grow, they have triumphs and losses, and it's just, it's a really good book. It's a great series.
1: Mm, I'm going to stick with my B-minus rating.
0: Oh my god. I I, uh, I feel like pretty soon we're going to review a Mark Millar book. I can just feel it coming up. And I just know you're going to love it. Be like, "Oh, it's so edgy and I like that they made this character so cool and interesting." And it's like, "It's just edgelord lord bullshit. No substance. Jobber comics." And this is like a work of art. What and are you talking about? It's like
1: this has zero substance.
0: No, I disagree.
1: I mean, maybe I'm missing out on something because this really is the... It's just the first volume. So by the time this book ends, you're just scratching the surface of what I imagine is like a very fleshed out story. Yeah. But in reading this, there's no substance here. It's so... It feels like a Sunday comic strip that got turned into a book.
0: Interesting you should bring that up, Hannah. Because... Oh my god. So he creates these characters at five, starts making comics at ten, And then in college, the college, he he drops out of art school, and then he goes to Ohio State University because they have a student newspaper, and he knows he can get his comic published there. So he gets his comic published in the student newspaper, and then he starts trying to shop it around and make it into a comic strip. And then slowly it dawns on him that comic strips are creatively and commercially bankrupt, and he kind of has to move on to comic books.
1: Yeah, I mean, that totally checks out. This feels so much like it wanted to be a comic strip.
0: Yeah, but it actually, like, one of the cool things he talks about is he got to shed the the limitations of the comic strip. It's like, you don't have to have that, like, panel one, panel two, boom, boom, bang, rim shot, punchline. It's like, you get, you can, like, spread things out, let moments breathe. Like, you weren't telling me it didn't touch your heart when the cousins are reunited? After no. having not seen each other for... no. No.
1: No. Wow. Well, let me actually like do a summary of this first because I feel like we're just talking yeah, about it rambling. without any context. So, Bone. It basically starts off with like these three cousins who've been essentially kicked out of Boneville. You've got Smiley Bone, Phony Bone, and Phone Bone. Yes, the dumbest names ever created.
0: Eh. I'm just gonna make an objection noise whenever I feel <laughs> <be> like. Eh.
1: <laughs> All right. So on the road, they basically they get lost and they kind of get attacked by this like swarm of locusts. Um, so each of them are all separated, and that's when the story kind of, like, kicks off, and you start following Phonebone, who gets lost in this, like, magical valley. Phonebone then runs into a bunch of, like, secondary characters in these chapters who, like, they don't really matter, except for the rat creatures, who I loved. Um, yeah, the
0: rat creatures are awesome. The yeah. hairy men—they're the
1: these like creepy little furbies with these like tiny little rat hands, and um, I fucking loved them. They were probably the best part of this comic. Um, but anyway, so before they can really like fuck him up, though, this dragon shows up and stops them, and they sort of disappear into the woods. But at this point, it's like. Phone Bone has made friends with like this and family and they don't believe that he's in this dragon. So, in wandering through the valley, he soon meets up with this girl, Thorn. She's like this vill- village girl who he very much wants to bone. You see what I did there?
0: Wah, wah. You know um, what? Sorry. Eh,
1: I'm
0: going to make an objection noise. <laughs> Not because he doesn't want to boner, but because I didn't like your pun. <laughs> I mean,
1: fair you enough.
0: can't diss on them being bones and then just throw out <laughs> these puns, okay? It's hypocritical. Look, I
1: can use puns whenever I want, okay? All right. Don't try to pun-gate me. Okay? <laughs> All right. She also lives with her grandma, Ben. Yeah. Who's awesome. She's fine.
0: She's so cool. It
1: sort of like digs into that sort of like um, tough grandma uh, trope, which can be fine sometimes. It was fine.
0: She's a badass. Yeah, it's fine. There's a lot of great timing. Jeff Smith is so influenced by animation. He actually co-founded an animation studio and so it's like his timing is really good like just like little like there might be a panel that's almost exactly the same except for a head turn or an eyebrow raise there's a lot of physical humor that's in this book there's that one sequence where he's running from the rat creatures foam bone is running from the rat creatures and he like burrows under the snow to get them and it's like that's straight out of a bugs bunny cartoon like that's There's a lot of funny, physical, cartoony gags in this thing. Here's
1: the thing. I think what it really comes down to is, like, the stuff that I really enjoy and the thing that really speaks to me is, like, very character-driven stories. And I feel like I have never really been into, like, physicality. Like, sort of that... Uh, sort of slapstick humor where it's very physical, even in comics and movies and anything like that.
0: Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin. No, these yeah. Kind of, yeah, like the none three of that, Stooges.
1: Yeah, no. Not none, even the Stooges. No, none of that has ever really appealed to me. I feel like the things that I really enjoy, I mean, and I think this is why I really like Marvel so much, was that it was so character-driven and it was so much about the evolution of this one person. And like, that's the thing, where it's like, I realize that this is a children's comic book, so I'm asking a lot from here. Oh, it's not? It's
0: not. It's kids read it and respond to it, but it's for everyone. It's, it's like, written... It, these are his childhood characters, but this is a book written by an adult for adults. And it it just
1: didn't feel like there was, like, a lot of character development.
0: I mean, he kind of... In some interviews, he talks about starting off with these kind of archetypes. You know, you've got Phone Bone, who's the vaguely good protagonist. Right, he's you've sort got, of,
1: like, the everyman.
0: You've got Phony Bone, who's always going to be kind of scheming and, and sort of trying to get one over on everybody. Right. And then you've got... Um, smiley bone who's kind of like the dumb one or and he sort of ends up he's actually got a lot of growth in the end of the series that i was like he's like they all become really fully fleshed out by the end of this and i think everybody in the series kind of goes through these changes well that's conflict- kind of what i
1: was talking about too with like grandma ben where it's like she's that classic trope of like the crusty grandma and then thorn who is like the girl she's kind of like um i don't know she's not she's not i want to say she's stereotypical she doesn't even really have enough of a personality to say what she is one way or the other but again it's like this is the first volume so i don't know if i like have enough context here to really say but based on just reading this this is what my opinion is
0: yeah and i can't help your opinion i
1: that's the thing it's like i feel like you're coming into this with the context of like the eight other volumes that come after this so you know all of these character arcs and like all of these different stories like this is the equivalent of me watching the pilot to a season And then judging the entire show based on that pilot. Yeah, I guess... Which I think is still valid. Like, I'm not going to back down on my opinion on this. No, and I'm
0: not going to try to... There's literally nothing I could say that we would... You know, you wouldn't just be like, oh, you're right. I actually didn't... It's like, you read the book, and you had, like, you didn't respond to it in a way that I thought you would, (laughs) but, like, that's, like...
1: I mean, to be fair, neither did I. I thought I was going to love this, like...
0: Maybe expectations were set too high. I mean, maybe, yeah. It's like I and also thinking back on it, like I read the series. I think I started the series with like, ish, like volume three or seven. I was like in high school, and some I saw someone reading. It, I was like, oh, what is that? And they're like, oh, it's this. Do you want to borrow it? And I borrowed it for like a class period and finished it. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's cool. And so I actually my first introduction wasn't volume one, yeah. but then I immediately went back and like read from volume one up. Yeah so maybe maybe that does have something to do with it because there is a lot more meat in later volumes but i think that like reading it now the thing that i really appreciated from it is like how fully formed all the characters are and their sort of quirks and the physicality of the humor and then like the foreshadowing of things to come i think he did a really good job Mm. and i think that has a lot to do with his process where he talks about like he had an ending in mind and Mm. it was just kind of how you get there you know what is the end I will not say. Yeah. <laughs> if look, I can't make you love this book, but I also am not going to reveal its innermost secrets to you. Like
1: I like that you're holding out hope that maybe I'll come back to it. No, you're.
0: Not, <laughs> you won't. But like, it's it's one of those things too, where it's like you you know when you like tell someone you're like, oh man, did you see that joke in that movie? And then you try to recite the joke for them, and they're kind of like, yeah. Oh, that's stupid. It's like anything I say about the ending of this book would just be like. Oh, cool! Right. Yeah,
1: where it's like, oh, okay. Yeah,
0: it would just reinforce your opinion of the book.
1: Okay, well, I actually do have a question about later in the book, but that's with, that we'll sure. we'll hold we'll put that in our back pocket. Hang mm-hmm. on to that for like five
0: so, seconds. So, you know we kind of tangented off of the? Yeah.
1: So okay. So meanwhile, um, and this is where I really like tuned into this comic. This is where everything I feel like really clicked for me because I mean it involved the rat creatures, which are definitely my favorite characters in this book. But um, they're. Basically confronted by, what is their king's name? King Doc. King Doc, yeah. Like, their giant king rat creature. And he's like, you guys are in huge fucking trouble. He's like, I'm gonna take you to the master. And then it cuts to this panel where it's like, you see this valley just fucking full of these, like, rat creatures with these torches. And it turns out that their leader is actually, like, this fucking grim reaper dude. He, like, is this cloaked Horror figure. Woman. Ooh, or woman. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. She, he or she, they, they're cloaked and they're just this cloaked figure. And, um, they basically are talking to the rack region, like, why the fuck didn't you capture that bone? Like I need him. And they're like, it's not the one you're looking for. The one you're looking for has the star on his chest, which is phony bone. And that's pretty much it. They don't really reveal why they're searching for him. So basically on his orders, the rat creatures, or, or hers, theirs. Yeah, so on their orders, um, the rat creatures, like, they set out, and they basically swarm Grandma Ben's house, and they're trying to capture Phonebone. So Grandma Ben, who apparently was in the quote-unquote big war, which I guess was this war between humans and rat creatures, she's like, you guys run into the woods. I'm going to, like, defend the house. And so Thorn and Phonebone, like, run into the woods, and the rat creatures are chasing them, and then the dragon shows up again, and he, like, scares them all away.
0: Yeah, and he talks about a treaty that's been broken. So there's been a yeah. There's been a peace. There's been peace in the valley for so long, but now the rat creatures presumably have some sort of new leader who's like gathering them, marshaling their forces, and like.
1: You also kind of see this flashback in a dream where Thorn is like this little girl, and sort of like all of these people around her are like, "Oh, we've got to run!" Like, so you get the sense that it's like obviously there's more background here, especially because the dragon when he takes Thorn and Phonebone back to the house to see Grandma Ben, Grandma Ben fucking knows the dragon, but it's like they are not chill. Like, they do not like each other. Like, well, the dragon's probably fine. Grandma Ben's like, you better get the fuck out of here.
0: What did you think of the dragon character?
1: I thought the character was interesting. I didn't love the design. I thought the design was kind of dumb.
0: It's it's weird, because, like... He doesn't
1: really look like a dragon.
0: Yeah, but I kind of like it, and I kind of don't. I really go back and forth on it, because he really doesn't look like a dragon at all no but it's kind of like so what he looks kind of cool so I actually got I had a shirt as a child a bone shirt it was (laughs) the dragon yeah and phony bone like kind of staring it was just a panel from bone yeah and it wasn't till years later that I read bone I was like this is that fucking character like I wore that for years and so like I have this weird thing where it's like I don't really like the design of the dragon either
1: but you have this like childhood connection to it
0: well, also, I kind of do, I like the character a lot, and so then I kind of like the design. It's just a weird, he does not look like a dragon. He's got these little, like, cotton balls on his ears, yeah. and he's like.
1: He looks like a toy. He looks like he was meant, you know how, like, when you see a movie, and you're like, that character was 100% designed to sell merch, um, like the porgs in uh, yeah. Star Wars. I think that's what they're, they're porgs, right? Yeah, the yeah.
0: little cute things. Yeah, where the, it's like,
1: these were specifically and only designed to sell toys. Plushes, yeah. Yeah. That's how this dragon kind of feels. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, obviously, like, Bone wasn't at that level. Like, I don't think he was thinking, like, oh, this would be great merch. But, like, I think that it that's just the vibe it gives me. It's just kind of a weird design, and I'm not really into it.
0: It's weird, yeah. As you meet more of the dragons, they kind of have, like, different designs, which I kind of appreciate. They're all sort of unique, which is, like, he's not just drawing the same... The same
1: dragon over and over. Yeah,
0: they all, they're, like, wildly different. That's kind of cool. Yeah.
1: Okay. So then, um, Grandma Ben, who's fine because she's a badass.
0: Yeah, she's like they come back <laughs> to the house. She's got like
1: she like pulls out this bandana. Yeah. She's like, I don't give a fuck. Like <laughs>
0: she's so cool.
1: I, she's she's okay. She's like no.
0: She's just the coolest. Her design is my favorite out of all the characters. I'm not crazy. So Jeff Smith, I really like his cartooning. I love the bones. I love how like their designs are just kind of cool and distinct and interesting. I'm not really a fan of the way he draws people okay aside from i like grandma ben i like lucius and i like um thorn they like they're those are the... the
1: three main people right as like, you're <laughs> gonna be more
0: villagers and okay I, there's something weird about the way he draws faces i just i don't okay. like the way he draws faces very much that's for... so weird because
1: i feel like my criticism is almost the opposite where like i really didn't love the character design for thorn or Grandma Ben. Um, Lucius is whatever. Lucius is basically the bartender that we meet at the end of the book. But um, there's a scene where they're in the bar, and if you look at all the people, I was like, wow, these are all really interesting looking characters. Yeah,
0: they're all yokels. They're just little. Yeah, little no. Yokels. But I was
1: like, I, that's so funny because I was. It's the exact opposite for me where I was like, I was actually into the supporting background characters. I more. respond
0: to the cartoon animals and the and the rat people are like they're maybe. Actually, they might have my favorite design in the I whole. love
1: their little gross, like, rat hands. Yeah,
0: but they're not quite... They don't look like literal rats. They
1: don't, yeah. yeah. That's why I kept being like, why rat creatures? But then I was like, they do have kind of, like, rat hands.
0: They're So they're kind of like a stand-in for, like, mob mentality. And, like, they're kind of like a, a band of, like, creatures that are, like... They're they're not necessarily like evil, but they definitely have more base instincts. I think I just think that's kind of an interesting note. Yeah, that's that really like, interesting. That I actually
1: didn't even think that it was that deep. Like I didn't. It, they... It's a very deep book. <laughs> yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> no, it's they're just like look at them as like a metaphor for like mob violence. They're sort of more united by fear and hatred than they are of.
1: Is that something that people have? like inferred later or is that something that jeff smith has actually said he jeff intended? smith has
0: said he oh, intended okay. yeah that's interesting yeah
1: so okay so by now grandma ben thorn and phone bone they head into town because there's this like big cow race or whatever they're reunited with the
0: big the great big,
1: cow, the great race. big yeah. cow race sure um they're reunited with phony bone and smiley bone who's surprised has actually been working at this like uh local bar the tavern
0: um, yeah the
1: tavern and fucking reaper dude shows up, or lady reaper person,
0: um, mm-hmm.
1: shows up, and- The hooded one. Right, and they're basically, they confront Phonybone, and they're like, I'm fucking coming for you, watch out. Okay, and here's the thing, I had a huge problem with this, because the reaper literally walks up to the window, and is like, hey, Phony Bone, watch your fucking back, and I'm just like, You just sent an army of rat creatures to kill this person, and you're literally right here. You're holding a giant scythe knife?
0: Maybe she's non-corporeal.
1: It doesn't make sense. She should have just killed him right there, or whatever it is that they're after.
0: Yeah, that was a little... That was kind of a, a thing that I also made note of, though, is, like, you're literally... You're right there watching...
1: It's like they, a huge waste of time well, and resources. Sort of,
0: um, isn't that scene, though, she's interrupted by something, right?
1: No, she just leaves an ominous message and then she's like, bye.
0: No, she's interrupted by a Smiley Bone bringing the dishes back and then she pieces out.
1: No, because she, like, reaches in the window and she's like, I'm after your soul, bitch. Your
0: soul. Yeah, yeah I like... just love that. She's, like, leaning in, like, face to face. I like... know,
1: well, that's the thing. is, like, she's literally like, five inches away from this guy. You should probably just kill him then, if that's your end goal. Like, If
0: that's your end goal.
1: Right, okay. Mm. Okay, so one thing while reading this that I, like, that definitely turned me off and, like, had that made it harder for me to kind of get into it was that Phone Bone has this mad crush on Thorn, who is a human. So it's like this weird thing where, like, this weird Bone character, which, again, I'm reading this as if they're literal bones. Like, he's like... They're not. I know, but I'm sorry, it's hard. (laughs) Bones from Boneville. I'm just... Anyway. (sighs) Thorn is a full human. Like, she's like... And obviously it's I'm thinking about like the later volumes of this book where it's like this can kind of only end like one of several ways like either she meets someone else like at this point
0: that would be an Esmeralda Quasimodo yes. situation
1: yeah at this point Phone Bone is firmly in the friend zone mm-hmm. like so it's like either yes she ha- she pulls an Esmeralda and like she meets someone else
0: someone handsome right and, and then dashing yes
1: and then Phone Bone just it's kind of jealous and it's sort of this comic bit the whole time um or two like he's just in the friend zone forever but then like some kind of conflict comes up and he like sacrifices himself to like save thorn or something or like
0: interesting prediction
1: or um they just uh he's just in the friend zone the entire time and she's there that's just their relationship but it seems weird because it's actually a huge part of this comic like how much he like likes thorn there's this weird scene where they're like by the river and she's like getting undressed they take a fucking bath together and you're like this is obviously off panel like you don't see anything i don't like, think
0: she takes her clothes off. i think she just is are like you sure yeah I'm pretty sure her she's...
1: dress is like by the riverbed
0: yeah, they do take a bath together. Yeah,
1: they take a fucking bath together.
0: I hate being wrong.
1: I know, and I love being right. Oh god, it tastes so good. <laughs> yeah, they fucking take a bath together, which is like weird. But the so... di- no,
0: but the dialogue kind of like plays it off, like it, you know. It
1: it is played for comic relief, but again, I feel like this really goes back to the thing that I found really weird about this which was this kind of juxtaposition of these anthropomorphic bones. Yes, I know they're not bones, but that's what I'm going to call them for the sake of this podcast. Um, And then these human
0: characters. Try to look at it like an Adolescent crush, you know, like that'll never happen.
1: Well, that's kind you of like, what I'm like. It, I, I'm trying to like Disney-fy it where it's like, how would this end in like a Disney movie? It, they're it's never, obviously for
0: they're kids. never gonna consummate it. It's no, it's an inner thing. I mean, the the,
1: the the biggest thing that he's gonna get is like a kiss on the cheek,
0: or no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> No.
1: <laughs> but you know what I mean? I don't know, does it not put you off a little bit does that is that not no weird? because
0: it's like totally like she doesn't even see it's almost like when you have a crush like you're like a little kid and you have like a crush on your teacher or something like right that. You exactly know, but like it's like but that's why
1: i feel like it could only end in those handful of ways i just feel like the human bone thing is weird
0: yeah but would you prefer if it was one or the other because i feel like if it's just humans then it's kind of like a whatever fantasy story and if it's just bones then it's pretty much the smurfs and that's kind of not fun either yeah so like so jeff smith was originally shopping this around as a comic strip he really he's like heavily influenced by uh walt kelly who did a comic strip called pogo Mm -hmm. and so he want his dream was to get in syndication and he he's shopping this thing around and he's just like he's got a few syndicates interested in his work and they want they see the marketing potential they're like they're totally like naked ambition naked greed they're like we see these as plushy toys we'd love to see these yeah you know this kid comic strip
1: this comic is built to be merchandise like So,
0: so then they keep making he basically is like they keep making these like meaningless aesthetic changes to his work he quits essentially and he's like okay i'm not gonna make a comic strip i guess animation is the thing i'm just gonna fucking do animation for commercials at least it's drawing at least it's fun yeah and so what happens is he's making a comic or he's making a cartoon for um at&t or time warner i think they want like a superhero like time warner man and so he draws this kind of stereotypical big jawed superhero and his mom sees his drawings and she sees in the shop this comic called The Tick, which I don't know if you've oh ever watched it. Yeah. yes. So she gives him The Tick. Yeah. And he reads and he's like, man, this guy's having a blast. Like That's cool. You know, he's reading comics. When he was a kid, he's reading comics as these sort of insipid, like, well, Robin, let's go fight the Joker, you know? Right. And then it's like, he comes back in the 80s. Wow, well, that's
1: th- funny that he was not into comic books and he was into comic strips. Like, he saw comic strips as, like, the higher art form.
0: There, That's the way it's been pretty much all through comics' existence is that, huh. like, to be a... Uh,
1: that's so weird because comic books are an actual, like, narrative, whereas, like, comic strips are, like, five panels and then you're done.
0: But, like, okay... So comic strips had the legitimacy of being in newspapers. Okay. Right? So they're widely read, and, like, also they were huge selling points. So it's, like, the newspapers had big incentives to, like, especially in the early days, like, these big prestigious, like, you know, layouts and, like, colors. They would tout their colors for the comic strips and all this. Mm -hmm. And comic books were essentially someone realized that they could fold a a newspaper section in half and have, like, roughly a tabloid or a, pamphlet-sized book of comics in the 50s during those senate hearings about how violent and lurid comic books were um you would you didn't want to admit that you worked in comic books you were like you were that's sort of on par with being like a pervert or a communist you know like like <laughs> I mean, like, it's not far you, like yeah. yeah it was <laughs> like you you if you were in comic books in the 50s 60s and probably even the 70s you wanted to be in advertising you wanted to be in comic strips you didn't want to be in comic books that was sort of a wasteland for yeah really low art and so he's seeing these insipid like really boring books from the f- 60s and 70s as a kid and then he's like whatever he writes them off he's going to be a comic strip artist he gets there in the 80s and by the 80s comic strips have lost a lot of prestige they're shrinking there's non-creative people in charge of it and so and the, but meanwhile comics are having a, a creative renaissance where it's like You've got all sorts of books coming out with wild premises and the art is changing. They're not all exposition heavy. They've got like almost cinematic flair to them. And so he starts reading these books and he's like, he he kind of likens it to an affair. Because he decides, <laughs> okay, well, I'll try a comic book. And then he loves like the freedom and the space and the pacing. And then he's kind of like, he's sort of neglecting his duties at the art studio. And uh, and so he finally ser- sells his shares of the the um. The cartoon shop that he had co-founded and that's enough to live on for a year and he's essentially and his wife has a really good job and he's essentially like i'm going to give this a shot for a year and if it doesn't work i'll just go back to animation and that'll be my life and he gave it a shot for about a year and it's like slid in there right under the wire it was not a hit at first it was like a huge commercial failure and he was able to like turn that around and it was now he look now look at him 30 languages (laughs) all over the world Hmm. never out of print (laughs) traveling i wonder like
1: what made him keep going though after the first failure because that's got to be a huge blow to like come out with this entire volume you know this this volume thick comic and then have it not be
0: well he was coming out in single issue form so 24 page so but he just really loved it so much he was sort of talking about that it was a love affair like he loved the space and the timing and the draw he was like he was just enjoying it yeah and the sales were really dismal and then he kind of had this light bulb moment where he's like watching sales dip below three thousand he actually had the misfortune of so this book launched in 1991 Mm -hmm. and stop me if this is getting like too boring or technical but like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came out in the late 80s and is responsible for what's known as the black and white boom yeah suddenly everyone's like I can make comics black and white comics like and so people were churning out these. That's cheap, so interesting that yeah. the
1: barrier was colors.
0: Well, just kind of like they because they were kind of crude. The first ones were crude, oh, okay. but there was something there, kind of raw energy, and so everyone started copying it. You know, they had like, they had like adolescent like samurai hamsters. Everyone's trying to ride the bandwagon, so it's like, and then the bubble bursts, mm. and that's when he decides to launch wow bone. his black and white so, like, so, yeah, yeah he basically oh, okay. yeah he basically <laughs> launches this black and white comic at a time when all these shops are very wary of ordering another black and white book hmm. and he spends his last three thousand to print up the first three issues he gets a table at this thing flies out there so he's got like no money left and he just starts talking to these comic shop guy owners and like giving them his books because none of them have, they're just ordering from a previews catalog. They're not interested in a black and white book after this giant bust. Yeah. But he's talking to them face to face and like handing them his books. And it's kind of like his Hail Mary. And then just slowly he starts to see the sales of his book. Like there's a, like a slight uptick where it goes from like 3,000 to 4,000 to 5,000 to 8,000. And it just kind of keeps climbing. And at its height it was selling like 60,000 books. Hmm. Which for an independent book like. That's crazy. Those are crazy numbers.
1: Yeah, that is actually really interesting, especially because it's like I feel like I mean I don't know because it's so hard to talk about this without um, being influenced with like by personal taste. Where I'm like I don't think that I would have ever picked this up just casually as like an independent comic. Like I don't think that I would have ever checked this out. Yeah. Just like I feel like the the look and the the character design I it wouldn't have drawn me in. So I find that really surprising that so many people ended up, like, picking that up. But again, it's just, like, this is just personal taste.
0: Yeah. You also have to remember, like, it's coming out in the 90s, which is, like, the hulking men with the fucking six-packs and, like, women with, like, 90-degree spines so that their breasts (laughs) can, like, pop out of the panels. Well, that's
1: actually one thing, too, that I noticed when I was reading this was that it felt very 90s. Like, I felt like I was reading a, like, the screenplay of a 90s sort of made-for-TV movie it and i don't mean that i don't mean that in a bad way i know that sounded really fucking backhanded
0: so, like
1: your fucking trash comic i mean um, you look no, at the quality like, of
0: made now we have hbo and television is in a golden age but it's like made for tv movies in the 90s were no i mean
1: i this felt it i don't that's the thing is like i don't want to say that it felt like a 90s sitcom but i did feel like there were those same beats like that humor and the sort of like uh Especially like with how Thorn interacts with like Phone Bone, like, and the things that she says it, and actually Grandma Ben, like it all felt like very '90s sitcom of its time. Kinda. Yeah. yeah, totally. Like I just kept thinking back on that, and I'm not saying that's anything against it. It just was very like in your face.
0: I still, I never picked up those '90 vibes, so I, I'm gonna have to agree to disagree with you there. Yeah. But I, yeah, I, what I was surprised to learn is. I thought this was a lot more influenced by underground comics. Yeah. Especially when I see his kind of cruder, like, newspaper strip art style. I was like, oh, this is so clearly influenced by, like, Von Bode and his character Cheech Wizard and all this kind of stuff. And then, like, well, I was reading interviews with Jeff Smith, and he was just kind of dismissive of all that. He's like, no. He's like, I was a kid when all that stuff was coming out. He's was like, yeah, I read it. I didn't really care for it. And I was huh. like, oh. I, I thought he was, like, way more influenced by underground comics than he actually is.
1: Should we do Beyond the Panel?
0: Oh, you mean... Beyond the Panel!
1: Okay, so um, we talked about this briefly in the Killing Joke episode when we talked about doing sort of a segment or even like a separate podcast um, called like Beyond the Panel where we basically discuss um, things that are happening either in comic book dim um, or just sort of like pop culture that relates to comics, things like that. Um, you know, so in the Killing Joke we talked a little bit about the Joker, the movie that was coming out with Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix at the time. It was okay. I mean actually, yeah, it was a good movie. You know, it was it's the just... first
0: R rated movie to like a superhero movie to break a hundred billion or not a hundred billion, one billion at the box office.
1: It was like surprising how good it was in the sense that um I mean, I've, I went in fully expecting to, like, fucking hate it, and, like, I found myself sitting there just being like, wow, this is beautifully shot. But like, deeply disturbing. But deeply disturbing. Anyway, but so, this week, um, we're talking about a couple well, things, just, but...
0: I think this segment is mostly just to talk about, like, pop culture happenings that sort of align with comic books, but not necessarily. Right off the bat, number one, I didn't know that Bone was optioned for a Netflix TV show.
1: I know, and I'm so curious to see how they're going to do that. As Especially, long as it's, like,
0: hand-drawn, or not even hand-drawn, but 2D animation.
1: Yeah. Well, that's what, I I mean, what I wonder is, like, are they going to pull a Roger Rabbit and have Thorne and Grandma Ben be actual actors and then animate the bones around them?
0: It's weird. When you said it, I was like, I would very much like to see that. But... But, but knowing how much work went into making Roger Rabbit as perfect as it was... Yeah. I don't think they could or would do that for Netflix, so I'd rather just see the whole thing animated.
1: I i would also i think i'm on board with an animated series um i would definitely watch it yeah
0: the only thing i'm not really on board with is like a live action no, no.
1: that would be terrible yeah do they release any details about like the cast or when that's coming out
0: no oh, okay. um but it's been indiv- like there have been rumors of a bone movie or a bone tv show forever so it's like one of those things where it's like the rights have been optioned around in hollywood forever and it's like it looks like it's finally gonna happen which is cool so I'm excited.
1: So the one what I wanna talk about for my beyond the panel is uh so this new bar slash restaurant. I think it's actually just a bar. This bar opened up in Oakland, California, and it is a comic book themed bar called First Edition. Yeah. And when it opened up, I think we got at least like five different texts from different people being like have you guys heard of this because obviously because of the podcast yeah um and so last friday our friends just got engaged we're like we're gonna go celebrate at this bar um and we went to go check it out and it was the worst like yeah
0: let down isn't strong enough of a term i think oh
1: no it was like it was as if you described comic books or, like, the comic book world to an alien. And then they interpreted it into this bar.
0: I would have loved to go to that bar. <laughs> that's, I, like,
1: where this... That's, I, like, what no, this
0: was. know. I, I don't even get that. It was, like... I feel like it was, like, some weird, bland marketing move. Where people are like, comic book movies are big. Yeah. Bars are always a good money maker. So let's just have a comic... Because it's, like... To me, like, without sounding too gatekeeper, I was like, this is just a bar made by posers. I was like... Yeah. There no, was I like, mean,
1: I even felt that way. I felt, like, almost mad because I was like, I feel like I'm being manipulated.
0: Yeah, I, I felt like... The only thing that I really saw, I was like, I was like, okay, there's two kind of, like, busts or, like, statue. Like, they're like statue of Batman and a little statue of Superman. But they're, like, the movie Batman and Superman... And then, like, the menu was just, like... It it was...
1: The menu was made to look like a comic book.
0: Except not really. Yeah. Like, you could tell that they had sort of thought that, but then it was, like, they didn't have any... It was, like...
1: Well, that's kind of what I'm saying. It's, like, it's clearly built by someone who's never even opened a comic book before. It's, like, someone described to them what a comic book was, and then they made this bar. I also realized this is very specific to the Bay Area, and it's, like, but I am so mad about this. I was, like, I just want to... No, it's... I consider myself to be kind of at the fringes of, like, comic books, and even for me, I was like, this is, like, this misses the mark so much.
0: Okay, if I were to, if I were going to run the place, I would have murals, I would have, like, different famous comic characters. Yeah. All over the walls. Yeah, um you know i'd have that's like, kind of
1: what i was expecting i was expecting more yeah. like an arcade vibe almost yeah like i that. would
0: have your supermans your batmans your bones you yeah. like i would have all the i would have the spectrum of comic book art comic strips to comic books well
1: i wonder if it's like there are licensing issues like they couldn't
0: maybe but i'd have i'd have you don't even need framed like actual comic books but just like prints of famous covers you know sort of like and I would have that bar way more well-lit. Oh, totally. Like, if you're going to do a comic book-themed bar that kind of, like, I would think celebrates comic book art, you would probably want it a little more well-lit, and you'd want it to be really cool, and have, like, you know, a lot of murals, kind of a pop art feel yeah, to it. Yeah, like,
1: no, totally. This
0: just felt like, it felt like they slapped a Photoshop filter on everything, and then we're kind of like... It felt like
1: they didn't even try, and yeah, it definitely fell short. First edition, if you're listening, you fucked up. You and I'm happy
0: up. to consult for a nominal <laughs> fee.
1: Okay, so, yeah. I think that's our podcast. <laughs> this has been
0: Comic Bay.
1: Um, Next week, we are reading... Uh, what are, book, book?
0: Superman yes. Red Sun. That's the one. Uh. I'm
1: so excited.
0: We're back. We're I, back in the Marvel DC quagmire. In the comic wire. Slowly <laughs> drowning on dirty disgusting backwater i mean what? i agree
1: with you only in the sense that superman is the subject of the next comic no. but i'm so stoked because it's an alternate reality superman Where's... where he's russian
0: yeah superman lands in the fields of a soviet collective instead of the fields of you know the golden fields of the usa
1: i'm so stoked oh, I it just
0: it breaks my heart because i know you're gonna love it and i fucking hate the writer mark millar (laughs) i hate that writer love superman but this is like some weird fucking 13 year old jerk off like
1: i just love the concept of like taking this very american it's a cool it's a cool concept yeah and the the arts
0: and the arts really cool also
1: i just fucking love anything russian
0: yeah (laughs) <laughs> it's no, it's really cool. It actually has a couple of neat, like little backup features, too, where they show some of the like where they're like showing Russian fonts and like trying to like I see. Yeah. I love
1: that shit. I'm yeah. here for that. That is what I am here for. Yes, anyway. So next week, Superman Red Sun. Um, you guys can find us obviously on your favorite podcasting app. Obviously, you've already found us, you're listening to us right now. Um, if you want to tweet at us, we're at Comic Bay Podcast on Twitter. Um, and that's pretty much our only social media as of right now but hit us up um we have nine followers so yeah we'd love to hear from you
0: (laughs) pick up new comics at the library or your local comic shop bye now out.